0: Welcome to the Worth Repeating Podcast. My name is Tori Poole. The stories in this episode were recorded live from the Irma and Emilio Nicolás Media Center at Texas Public Radio Headquarters in downtown San Antonio. This special bonus episode was just one part of the San Antonio Book Festival's three-part celebration, Lit Happens, where four book festival authors were asked to share a story on the theme, Fight or Flight which would you choose? Our first author was Mahogany L. Brown. Mahogany shared a story about the challenges faced throughout her life when the choice was both fight and flight.
1: Right. good evening. So, um, I'm excited to open up the space, because um, I have no idea how I talk about fight or flight when I'm usually flighting and fighting at the same time. I moved to New York City in an effort to flight my family, who taught me to fight everyone, including myself. And so, as a lover of poetry and stories, I used to steal books from the library, no judgment. I- <laughs> Stole Harlequin romance books from the supermarket. You know, you find stories where you can. It was always my way of of finding a space where I didn't have to fight. The stories, the poems, the books, the library. Um, I even joined um, a debate team and an oratorical competition to not fight, like further not fight. Um, And in turn, it actually taught me to stand up for myself. Um, my grandfather, who left Homer, Louisiana with his wife, who was then at, at that point pregnant with my father, I guess. Uh, yeah, he was the first. Uh, that was a moment of flight. And, and they had to leave Homer because uh, they wanted to lynch him and his dog. And so I come from a long line of fighters but also a long line of folks who knew when they had to fight for their life, and more times than not, it was running to safety. Uh, so I want to share this small moment. How many of you have signed up for an MFA program ever? You did that, hmm I'm proud of you. You made it out alive, good job. We made it out. Um, I signed up for this amazing opportunity to write uh, alongside some of the most amazing uh, novelists, uh, poets, poets, and professors. And in that space, I came in as an adult, which was good for me, because I had already toured the world as a poet, representing New York City, representing America, uh, first time, first poet in Poland as a performance artist, alongside Jive Poetic, representing the, um, the New Eureka Poets Cafe and Brooklyn Poetry, all of those things, right? Like I had the opportunity, but I was shook in this academic space, right? So I had to dig deep. I had to dig into what I knew, uh, I I got into that space because I had already toured the world, so I had to trust my intuition and I had to fight the urge to allow others to tell me who I was, uh, not just to the page, but to myself. And so in this world of academia, um, I I learned very quickly what they thought of me. I was asked, are you a street poet? And I said, what's that? Because I don't do poems in the street. yeah, I don't do poems in the street. I don't know what else to call it. So they said, no, no, that just means like slam. You like slam it. And I said, well, I perform. And I perform in slams. But in that moment, I realized they had already separated me, right? And so you have to fight that moment even in the space that you fought to be in. You have to fight the moment where they even put you in a smaller, smaller jar, a smaller container. Um, so there began my two-year stint in this MFA program where I argued over whether to say collard greens, sweet potatoes, or yams. They're like, why are you saying both? You don't need to say both. It's food, but if you know anything about African American culture, you know the difference between collard greens and mustard greens, right? You know the difference between a candy yam and a sweet potato, because that requires some, some chemistry, huh? But if I have to explain to someone who is not a part of my culture why this is important to my culture, what is happening? I'm slowly but surely erasing you know, myself and, and even uh, my voice, I felt like I was erasing my voice by just standing up and saying, no, this is worth it. This is worthy. And so I stopped fighting them. And that was uh, the first time for me when it came to writing that I no longer fought. I fought to stay in that library even after they caught me stealing them books. I volunteered, I got on a good side. I also brought them their books back. My mama made me. It wasn't my, wasn't my call, but I fought to stay in that space. And then coming to New York City from Oakland, leaving this, uh, this world uh, that I knew, um, where we were fighting with our hands and our words and moving to, to, to New York from Oakland and not having to do that same kind of physical fight, but having to fight with my mouth, having to fight with my words, having to say when I speak uh, like someone who comes from Oakland, California, and I say, hella. That can be in a poem too. So fighting for my language, fighting for dialogue and and a vernacular that was very familiar and important and a part of my growing up, um, I found myself crawling back into these containers, these small containers that they said that um, I could only fit in. And shout out to my daughter who is the number one fighter. She's my first and only, uh, my favorite song Um, I fought her at one point um, because she was like, I called her little alien baby. She was kicking my my stomach out and I was like, this is a lot. And if you've seen the uh, TV show V, you already know where I'm going. So I already fought her to keep her, right? And in raising her, she was the one thing that never changed. That was my horizon, that was my goal line. If I can make her proud, everything else was worth it. That meant if I left someone who didn't love me right, it was worth it. If I fought to stay in a relationship because I knew that it was, it was necessary, then that would be worth it too. But I never ever kept her out of my sight. Um, and so she's my reason for fighting um, every day. And she's the reason I stayed in that MFA program, even after I had an amazing time with, I'm scared to say this on live stream because they're probably watching, I had a stalker, amazing time with stalker land. And I was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of being called out my name. I'm, you know, I'm just, I just want to go back to, to writing and, and the poems living. And me explaining the poem on stage in this body is enough. And it was my daughter who looked at me and said, I understand, but you would not let me walk away. And so I finished this MFA program. Um, I did receive a scholarship, so that was helpful. Um, and, after I, I, I crossed the stage with honors, um, I then was asked to come back as the BLM director on campus, which I thought was pretty funny, being that they was trying to shut my ass up <laughs> the whole time. That said, I goes back, I does the work, I does the thing, and there my daughter is still. And she's like, you taught me how to do this and now she's going to protest, and she's speaking up. She's a singer, she's writing protest songs, she's making Nina Simone proud, she's making me proud. And the only way that I could see it making any more sense um, is if I really, you know, crucified the dragon. And the dragon is, is the doubt that, is, uh, that you allow folks. Thank you. The dragon is the thing that you allow folks to say and, and control you and control how you move through the world. So I just want to remind you that Fighting for your actual purpose is the only thing that matters. Because this is the book that I wrote in grad school. Amen. And we fought to be here so much so she is going to be on PBS um, as an all arts um, artist in residence as well. So thank y'all for allowing me to talk about what it takes to fight, even yourself sometimes, to do what you know is your rightful purpose. (laughs)
0: worth repeating the book that's right trinity university press and texas public radio are proud to present worth repeating san antonio stories featuring 40 true tales straight from the worth repeating archives books are on sale now Pick up your copy at the next live event, September 12th. Your purchases help fund programs like these. Our next author is Rebecca Mackay. Rebecca shares a story about the thrill of a home invasion following a mishap with a canoe.
2: So I know what you are all thinking, looking at me, which is that I'm here to tell you a story about the time I committed a home invasion, and that is correct. Um, So I'm going to give you a little background because every crime has a reason behind it, whether that is passion or vengeance or necessity, and in my case, um, it's that I'm really, really bad at canoeing. So here's what happened. I, when my daughters were uh, one and four, we were renting a cabin in Vermont, just, it was the summer, it was June, little tiny cabin on a sweet little lake in Vermont. I'm really bad at um, estimating the size of things, like I'm not good at Tupperware, for instance, Um, so I'll just tell you like 40 houses around this lake, but kind of spread out that size. And um, I'm going to take my four-year-old daughter out in the canoe. And I don't really know much about canoeing. I am from Chicago. We don't canoe a lot in Chicago. And my husband is going to stay home with the baby. And we get in the canoe and we're, we're doing great. So I have to tell you a little bit about my daughter at this point. Um, her name is Lydia. She was four years old. She weighed about 25 pounds at this point in time. She was tiny. I swear I was feeding her. Um, she was born two weeks late, six pounds. She is just a tiny person. And so I'm in the back of the canoe. Oh, the other thing you need to know, she just a, a quirky little kid, like she was obsessed that summer with little house books, like Laura Ingalls Wilder, not the actual ones. There were these picture books that had less carnage and, and more knitting. Um, but so, I was in the back of the canoe and she's on the front seat. And this is not a good idea, by the way. I'm going to explain the physics of this in a minute. Very bad thinking on my part. Um, imagine a canoe in a cartoon with like Wiley e. Coyote in one end and an anvil in the other, with Wiley e. Coyote just sticking up out of the water. That's basically what was happening, gravity wise. Um, and so we, we get to, this, this lake is shaped kind of like a fish, where it sort of forks at the far end like a fishtail, right? And we get up pretty far away from the house where we're staying, which is kind of like 7 o'clock on the lake. We're up at like midnight on the lake. And the wind picks up really, really strong. Not a huge storm, just really strong. What I know now is... I should have gotten down in the middle of the canoe on my knees. That would have been good. I did not know this. I also should have probably had my phone with me. Didn't have that. Good idea to take a whistle. Things like that. Didn't have any of these things. Um, I just had a child. We had our life preservers. And I could not control the canoe. And she had a little paddle, but she's four years old. This is no help at all. Um, And... So I would turn the canoe back in the direction we needed to go, you know, 180 degrees, and the wind would finish the work and turn us back the other 180 degrees, thus completing the circle and sending us back in the direction we didn't want to go. And I was trying so hard because, you know, you start to panic. This is your kid in the canoe. And I was losing strength. So this, you know, our theme tonight is fight or flight. This is my fight or flight moment. This is like, I, I, we need to make a decision. Do we get out of this canoe? Do we stay in the canoe? What are we going to do? I decide we got to get out of this canoe. I, I find a random dock, or I'm actually blown to a specific dock. It was not really a choice in the matter. We get there. I tie us up. We get out, and we, we look, and we kind of knock on the door. There's no one home in this house. It is 90 degrees. I have a 4 year old and I start to do some thinking about where we are on this lake. You know the expression, you can't get there from here? <laughs> this is a case study and you can't get there from here. The, the short route from midnight like to seven, right, is dense woods, no paths, rocky cliffs, bears. The long route, uh, you know, there's some roads, but they're roads, they don't hug the lake. They're roads that go way, way, way out. And I'm thinking, it would take us like three hours, four hours, five hours, I don't know, for me to walk home with this kid. And I know, like, you know, we're in trouble. So I stand on the end of the dock screaming for a while. Um, and remember, the wind is very strong, blowing towards me. So this does nothing. I can see the house where we're staying. My husband, turns out later, was asleep. Um, was, did not miss us in the slightest. Um, we, I get nothing. So I'm like, we, we gotta just find someone. Um, this is—I I hope that no one in this room needs white privilege explained to them at this point in time. But just a sidebar here: this story might have turned out very, very differently. Um, you know, medically, the skin was a liability in 90-degree heat—not a great, not great. But in every other way, this this story would have turned out perhaps very differently. So this was on my mind. Um, lots of things were on my mind as we start looking for someone to help us. Um, it's a Wednesday in June. These are houses that are rented out on the weekends, mostly. No one is home. We start knocking. I'm looking in windows. I see sheets on furniture. I see food pile, like spices piled on a table as if for like, you know, three seasons worth of mice that they're going to avoid and no one's going to be back for a month. There's nothing. There's nothing. And finally, we find a house where there are wet towels out on the railings. There's like, you know, sandals out. And the door is ajar. And I'm like, OK, we're going to, like, this is something. And knock on the door. I bang on the door. I'm calling into the house. There was, yeah, that's the vibe. That's the basic vibe. No one's home. Um, I decide that the best thing to do is to enter this house and look for a phone. So I open the door, I bring Lydia, my daughter, in with me, and the whole time I'm shouting, hi, I'm in your house, we're not burglars, I have a baby with me, we're not burglars, hi, I'm in your house. Um, And my daughter is terrified. You always hope that your child will develop like a really strong moral core just not when you're in the middle of committing a felony. (laughs) So, to make a long story short, there was no one home, there was no phone. It takes us a long time, obviously, spoiler, I'm here, we made it back. We followed a dog, Uh, my daughter was terrified of dogs, she kept climbing me like a tree. We followed a dog to its owner who was chopping wood with an ax. We get him, we get the phone, we get home. Um, my daughter, the whole time I told you she was obsessed with Little House, the whole time she keeps going, surely we will get home someday. <laughs> I've got 30 more seconds, don't worry. We get home, my husband picks us up, and just to prove that I'm, I'm not nuts, that there was no way to get there, I look us up on a map where we'd been, and this is really weird. This, seg- this tiny corner of the lake... On the map, it's an unincorporated town. It's labeled as Satan's Kingdom. (laughs) I look, there's no reason for this. No one on the internet knows why. It's one of these like mysteries. Everyone's like, weird town named Satan's Kingdom. No one knows why. But I start thinking about it later and I'm like, it was really hot. (laughs) And we did have to like cross water to get there. And there was a dog. (laughs) One had a dog who showed us the way. But still, maybe this is where we were. Um, Anyway, my daughter's 15 now. Um, She, I'm really glad to say she's she's still a tiny person. She knows how to break rules. And uh, I don't know if that's what did it, but she knows how to break, she knows how to enter, she knows how to smash things up, and I'm very proud of her. And that's my story.
0: Know someone with a great story? Tell them about Worth Repeating. Submissions are now open for Spectre. What are your stories about visiting spirits or would-be catastrophes? Share your stories that haunt by visiting tpr.org wr. Our next author is Stephen Graham Jones. Stephen shares a story about the depths of West Texas and those feelings of a first scare.
3: product
1: placement
3: (laughs) man I've always dreamed of being on stage with a ace steel guitar player but I always imagined I'd have a nudie suit on you know
1: um
3: but in this heat I think a halter top would be better you know um most of my stories that I usually tell out loud end with and that's why I don't remember February and March of 1997 or that's why I can't go into Walmart anymore that kind of stuff but um I think, this, I think this one might be more like how I became a horror writer. So it's 1976, 1977, I'm not sure which one, so I'm either four or five years old. I'm living in Big Spring, Texas, which is 20 miles, 20 miles east of where I grew up in Stanton. And my mom had just married a guy who was working at... Um, I want to say it was Jeans West, but I really don't know. I remember it was a jeans store, a whole lot of denim. I'd go up there and hide in the racks, and and um, he had a Rod Stewart fixation, um, which is to say he liked, I, I liked, like I like like I like Waylon Jennings, I like Bob Seger, but I don't think I'm Waylon. I don't think I'm Bob Seger. Um, <laughs> He had a really strong inclination that he was Rod Stewart. So he, he had grown his hair out, and he had black hair, and I think he tried to make it go blonde, it ended up orange. And, um, and, but he had to look down, you know, the shirts down to his belly button, all that stuff. And, and he had a, a silver Trans Am with T-tops on it. And on Sundays, when the jean store was closed, he would take that Trans Am out to the interstate on 20, between um, Big Spring and Stanton. It's about 20 miles and and I would go with him he'd take me with him to get me out of the house I don't know what for and I would stand in the passenger seat because I was you know four years old and he would hand me his tall silver beer and I would hold it and and he would just he would peg that big 455 and we would just fly back and forth big spring to stand like a yo-yo and it, it just feels like you're flying when and those like those cars will do 160 170 I think they peg probably 130 140 but they'll, they'll go and go and um so we're doing that one day and he takes an exit over towards over by big spring and those of you out here who know big spring will know this and i think that where he was taking me i would find this out in high school when i started hanging out in big spring on my own i think he was taking me to thrill hill you remember thrill hill yeah Thrill. it's 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 where you go on late on a friday night it's you know west texas is super flat so any little rise is kind of neat this is probably like five feet of elevation and um and if you go if you go fast enough, you can kind of you know, I don't know, I don't know if you actually leave the ground, but you feel like you come out of your seat a little bit, you know. And I think that's what he is probably doing because we all did it in high school. And and he, but I think at the end of that road there must be a big caliche pit. And I don't think y'all got caliche pits down here. Do y'all know caliche pits? Okay, I'll, the caliche pit it's a it's a big chalky hole like a quarry. I guess we call it a quarry, but we don't call it a quarry. It's a caliche pit, and. Caliche is good because you can put on a road bed. It won't turn into mud. It will get slick, but it won't, it won't mire you down. It's good for pump roads and stuff. And so he took me to this one. This was a big one, too. Like, you know, cleachy pits out in West Texas, they always become, like, um, make-do landfills. Everybody goes there to throw their batteries, their Christmas trees, just anything they don't want. Pie melons, they're always full of pie melons and coyotes. And, and he, so he takes me there to the very, like, the, the high lip of it, and he holds my hand, his hand on my shoulder, and we step right up to the edge of it, and it's like a 60-foot drop, straight down. And and you get, I get that feeling. I remember that feeling very distinctly, you know, of of what's going to happen. Am I going to fall? And um, and he let me feel that. And then he said, and then he passes me his big tall silver beer, and I hold it with both hands. And and he puts his right foot right up there on the edge of the the lip, and rotates on it and just drops. And um he's gone. And I'm standing there for probably, I don't know, eight, 10 minutes holding that silver beer and just crying, you know, because I don't know what to do. I can't drive a Trans Am. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, and then, you know, soon enough, um, a tap comes on my shoulder. And I turn around all crying, holding that beer, and it's him. It turns out that people who lived around there knew at that specific pot spot on that caliche pit cliff if you drop off at the right place, there's a little ledge you can grab onto with both hands, and kind of walk over, and then find a slope and climb up and play jokes on people, and um. And, and so that was the big joke. That was a big joke to play on four-year-old me, and um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, um. It's been 46, 47 years since then, but. I'm still, standing, I'm still standing on that little, that little ledge, that little, that little fall, and I'm still holding that tall silver beer, and my, my fingers hurt because they're cold, but I don't know what to do with this beer, you know? And, and every morning, I wake up still, and I look over that cliff edge, and I tilt over into all that blank whiteness, except for now, it's a page of fiction. That's it. <laughs>
0: Ready to attend a live event? Worth repeating is back September 12th and the theme is Bail. Bailing town or bailing out, these stories take you on wild rides and daring escapes. Link to tickets when you visit Tpr.org backslash WR. Our last author is Priscilla Olivares. Priscilla shares a story about finding the fight when it comes to her children.
4: Hola everyone, thanks so much for joining us for our fight, flight, or freeze fun tonight. I gotta be honest with you, if I was put on the spot and had to choose like, which one of those responses would be my instinctive reaction in kind of like any given situation, I'd probably have to go with like flight or freeze. Um, I am not um, a risk taker. I'm not known for like running toward confrontation or like toward a fight. Maybe it's the middle child in me, you know, like the people pleaser, the one who likes to kind of keep the harmony in the room. I'll say part of it is is cultural, um, kind of norms and expectations that have been passed down from generations. I'm Latina. My papi Tejano, born and raised here in San Antonio over on the west side. Yes, woo-woo. Burbank High grad. Uh, my mom's Puerto Rican, born and raised on the island um, by parents and the nuns at her devout Catholic school who taught and preached the importance of being una nena buena, right? Like a good girl uh, um, who didn't question authority. Um, that old dicho, that old saying, calladita, es más bonita, like literally you're prettier the more quiet you are, a little bit kind of like know your place. Um, that's how my mom was raised and kind of modeled. Except for, and maybe some of you mommies, some of you moms or mom figures in the audience can kind of relate to this, except for when her familia is threatened. And there have been times that I have seen like the fight come out in my mom as a kid. I'd be like, whoa, where did that come from? Right? And I didn't understand it until I became a mom myself. And then there was like this fundamental switch or, you know, something inside. I don't know. But if any of my three daughters, if there's like the perception or the perceived threat, there's this switch inside me that gets flipped. And I'm like, like fight mom mode. For example, there was the Christmas holiday that my first daughter was home. It was the end of her first semester at college, so she's like in pure vacaciones mode, right? Up late, sleep late. The rest of us, not so much yet. So I was up. I had dropped off my younger two at school. I'm back home. At the time, we were living in southern Illinois, and... um, uh, so I, so it, it, it's wintertime. We've had days of snow and sleet and melting and then more snow and sleet. And I get home. Um, I've still got my earbuds on. I'm, I'm listening to is either Mana, maybe Mark Anthony, like one of those. Because I've got a long list of to-dos that I'm going to get done. But I'm looking out our back door window. Um, like, uh, and our house was situated on a slope. So our basement was like a walkout basement. So from the backyard, you looked up at, and like from our main floor, to get to the backyard, you had to go out on the wooden deck and down a flight of stairs. But because of this ice, snow, melt, freeze, ice, snow, whatever we had, there was like a a slab of ice about this thick on the deck, down the stairs, it was unsafe. We couldn't use it, our dog couldn't use it to get her out to the backyard. You had to go down the basement, take her out the sliding glass door. But as I'm looking out there, I'm noticing that there is water like dripping off the edge. So I open the back door to step out there to check it out, and I hear like a crack. And then I get the brilliant idea. If I get out here and I break up this slab of ice, it's gonna melt a lot easier. We can use the back deck. I'll tackle the stairs. So I go back inside, zip up, got my hood on. I still have my mana my playing. I get out there next thing I know, I'm like stomping, 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 breaking this stuff up. I'm kicking pieces of like huge pieces of ice off to the concrete slab below. And then I realize my dog, our dog is inside and she's going ballistic because she wants to get in on the fun outside. So I open the door, let her out. You know, get back to work real quickly, like the the back deck is done, the stairs are done. I'm almost done clearing and breaking up the ice on the concrete. When I notice that our dog is like angry, barking, growling at something at the fence behind me. So I whip around and there is a stranger. And this dude is way over six feet because I can clearly see from like here up. And he's like angry, glaring at me over our fence. So I whip out my AirPods and this dude's like, what are you doing there? And I don't know where this came from, but I'm like, I live here, what the hell are you doing there? And then he replies with, ma'am, I'm with the O'Fallon Township Police Department. Ooh, activate good girl mode, right? I'm whipping off, I'm like whipping off my hood and swinging my perky little ponytail as I smile. And I'm like, oh, hello, officer, how can I help you? Until he says, ma'am, we got a report of an intruder at this address. Is there someone inside the house with you? And I know who's inside that house, my child. I know who better not be inside that house, a freaking intruder, right? So in a flash, it's like woo, flight mom mode activated. I am up those newly cleared stairs across that newly cleared deck, racing inside the house. And I vaguely remember this cop saying, ma'am, you need to open the front door. I don't care. My kid is potentially in danger. I got to save her. So I'm running through the house. I'm screaming her name. There's nothing on the n- nothing on the front on the first floor. I see like there's some kind of commotion at the front door, so I race to the front and I open it. I'll be honest, I did have like a freeze moment, like an oh snap, because I'm thinking, who the heck is minding the police department? Cause they are all here at my house. I am not kidding you. My front porch is packed with cops, like guns ready, guns ready. My, my lawn packed with cops, guns ready, guns ready. There are two black SUVs. There are three police cars with cops there. Guns ready, like guns ready. I cock my head and I'm like, is that a, is that a helicopter? I'm kidding you, like in one of my books, there would have been a helicopter. There would have been, in one of my books, right? But I did hear, and I look up and my oldest is crouched down, death grip on the the banisters, tears streaking, her eyes bulging with fear. So I'm racing up there and I'm hugging her. And here's where perspective comes into play or in author speak, point of view. And why I tell my writing students, when you're working on a scene, the point of view character, you wanna pick the one whose perspective is gonna really grab the reader, who's gonna do what you want that scene to do. Because from my perspective, I was getting stuff done around the house. From my child's perspective, she heard someone come in, she yelled down the stairs, mom, I'm jamming to Mana. I can't hear her, right? I go outside, she hears the dog barking, 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 she comes downstairs and she sees a hooded figure on the back porch. So she races back upstairs, calls 911, and they tell her, barricade yourself in your room. (laughs) Me, Stompy Stompy on the stairs, I'm almost done. Stompy Stompy breaking up that ice. I didn't realize it was so loud, but the 911 operator is like, there's gotta be more than one. It sounds like they're moving furniture. When the dog is barking, so I let her out so she won't let up my child, so she won't wake up my child, and now the dog is quiet, to my nine to my daughter and the 911 operator, they did something to the dog. Yes, so perspective. To this day, she does not know why. When she had her fight, flight, or freeze moment, why did she flee upstairs and not out the front door to the neighbor's house, right? But from my perspective, This middle child, people pleaser, risk averse person, when my child seemed to be in danger, I was immediately in hashtag fight mom mode.
0: This has been a special Lit Happens bonus episode of the Worth Repeating Podcast. Lit Happens was made possible by the San Antonio Book Festival, the 8020 Foundation, Art Everywhere Project, Nowhere Bookshop, and Texas Public Radio. Be on the lookout for our next San Antonio Book Festival partnership featuring Luis Alberto Urea. For this and more info, visit SABookFestival.org. Worth Repeating is a production of Texas Public Radio. I'm Tori Poole. Thanks so much for listening.